Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. All right, quick recap. Israelites come up from Sinai, take the land of Israel, set up the tabernacle, the worship center in Shiloh. In that worship center, the tabernacle, it's a tent. There is a golden box. The literal manifest presence of God would rest on that box. It was inside of a hidden room in behind some curtains. Nobody was allowed to go in. Nobody was allowed to touch it. Nobody was allowed to even look at it or look inside of it. And if it did need to move, like when they were moving around the desert, there was a very strict way that the priests would slide in these long poles and then the priests would carry this golden box. They would carry the presence of God and the people would follow. Israel, these Israelites' hearts grew cold. They were losing battles to people that they should have kicked out of their country in the first place. So if you're struggling with something that you should have kicked out of your life in the first place, before praying a big prayer of struggle, go back to the thing that you should have removed from your life years ago. And your walk with Jesus will get a lot easier to remove the enemy that should have been gone a long time ago. So they think, I know, let's go get the box and take it into battle against the Philistines. And then the box is going to destroy everybody. Well, that's not what the box is for. That's not what the presence of God is for. It's not a trinket. It's not to be disrespected or dishonored. So believe it or not, the Philistines won that battle and they took the box. They took it back to the Philistine town and a lot of people died because that they didn't have any honor or respect for the presence of God. So they put it on a cart and they send it back to Israel. It goes to Beit Shemesh, which is an Israeli town. People are like, wow, the box is back. The presence of God is back. Beit Shemesh is in northern part of Israel, just at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. They sacrifice the animals. They, sacrifice, they use the wood from the cart. And some people dishonored the presence of God and looked in the box and died. So people in Beit Shemesh were like, no, dude, get this box out of here. We don't want to be near the presence of God. We want to do it our way, not God's way. So since God killed some of our friends, get the box out of here. They do not take the box back to Shiloh like they should have. And the, the box went to a guy named Abinadab. Saul becomes king. He moves the tabernacle from Shiloh to Gibeon, his hometown, about five miles away from Abinadab's house. So they're just on the other side of a mountain range, actually not too far from where Josie's parents live in Israel today. So you got this place of worship with no presence of God, but yet they're still worshiping there and sacrificing there. And then you have the presence of God at a guy's house. Saul does not honor the presence of God. He dies. David becomes king. David never should have become king. David was not Saul's kid. He was Saul's worship leader. He was one of Saul's armory guys. But he wasn't supposed to be king. God made David king because he was a man after God's own heart. The very first thing, and this is last Sunday's message, if you missed it, it's on the YouTubes. 
was to bring the presence of God from Abinadab's house to Jerusalem. The temple was not in Jerusalem yet. David's son, King Solomon, built the temple. So all it was was Mount Zion. David was building up the city of Jerusalem. And just to the south was what they called the city of David. And if you go with us on our next tour of Israel, I will take you to Shiloh. I will take you to Jerusalem. I will take you to the city of David. I will take you to the palace of David. Because in David's backyard, he built a second tabernacle called the Tabernacle of David. Because he said, I want the presence of God at the center of everything we do. So go get that box, the first thing we do. And that was last Sunday's message. Let's just put a pause right there. And we're going to jump to a different portion of scripture. This is the second message that I wrote this week because I was about to finish the first message. This new tabernacle is called the Tabernacle of David. It is only purpose is the presence of God and worshiping God. It's not a place that is recorded that they did sacrifices. The sacrifices were still being done in Gibeon at an empty tent. Eventually, David's kingdom falls. David's tabernacle is taken down. The Solomon builds a temple. Worship is moved to the temple. The prophet Amos says, you know what? There is a day when the tabernacle of David, the one that was focused on the presence and worship, will be rebuilt. Fast forward like a thousand years, big chunk of time. Like think back a thousand years ago from where we are today. We're in 2024, so think of 1024. Everything smelled like BO, wasn't a lot of toilet paper before the iPhone. It's pretty rough living. So a thousand years after this prophecy about the tabernacle of David being reborn, it's Acts chapter, we're going to jump into 15, but I'm not ready to get there yet. So if you want to flip to Acts 15, that's where we're going. Acts 1 through 14, Jesus returns to heaven, says, y'all wait here in Jerusalem. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the presence of God to be with you forever. The church is born in power, signs, wonders, miracles, healings. Thousands, tens of thousands of people in Jerusalem are saved, all Jews. The church was not a Gentile thing. It was an all Jewish thing, believers in Jesus. Peter is on a road trip to a Jewish town. And the Lord says, I need you to go to the Roman Gentile town of Caesarea and tell people about Jesus. And he says, nope, I'm a good Jew. I'm not going to go to a Roman town. Long story short, that's a different sermon. God says, go. Peter goes. He's a Roman centurion, a very powerful Roman military leader, brings his entire household. His household probably also included some of his military leaders, all Roman, all Gentiles, his whole family, all of his servants. They were in his house and said, here's Pete. He's gonna tell you about Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Peter goes in, 
He tells everybody about Jesus. They all repent of their sin, make Jesus the Lord of their life. And then Peter's like, okay, cool. I guess Jesus is for Gentiles. But then the Holy Spirit prompts Peter, lay your hands on them and pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So he did. And all the Gentiles began to pray in other tongues and prophesy. So it was the, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem that was like, it was the sign, the seal of the Holy Spirit and they're praying in other tongues that was an indication that Jesus is for everybody in the whole wide world. I just read to you the portion of scripture where the Jewish church was fasting and praying and worshiping. And in that moment, that consecration of corporate fasting and worship, the Lord says, send Paul and Barnabas to the Gentile world to go tell the Gentiles about Jesus. So they put them on a boat. They send them around the Gentile world to tell everybody about Jesus. Small problem. More Gentiles are now getting saved than the number of Jews in Jerusalem and Israel that believe in Jesus. The church is born in power. Signs, wonders, miracles, prophecies, dead being raised, demons being cast out. Everything that Jesus did, Paul and Barnabas are doing in the Gentile world and then teaching others to do it. It's kind of becoming a thing. The church is kind of becoming Gentile-y. So much so that the church in Jerusalem is like, um, the Gentiles don't keep kosher. The Gentiles aren't worshiping on the Sabbath like we want them to. They're not keeping the Jewish festivals and laws. We need to get Paul and Barnabas back here so they don't just teach people about Jesus. They teach people about Jewish Jesus. So they're like, hey, they send a text or an email. You guys got to come home. So they take a red eye. They land in Israel. And in Acts chapter 15, there is a, it's the first leadership conference of the church. All of the leaders of the church are gathered in Acts chapter 15. And they're like, hey, Paul and Barnabas, well done, but you got to make all those Gentiles act Jewish. And they're like, hold on, let me tell you about some of the signs and wonders and miracles that God has been doing. And they begin to tell at the beginning of Acts chapter 15, all of the amazing things that God has been doing in this new church. And then Peter steps up and says, cool, 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 no doubt, no doubt. I need to remind you leaders that me, a good Jew, was told to go to a Roman Gentile town and that's how this whole thing got kickstarted was when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. And then James stands up to speak and that's what we're gonna read in Acts chapter 15. Do you guys remember James? James was one of the three, Peter, James, and John, the three closest disciples to Jesus part of Jesus's inner circle. James was there on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus's glory was revealed to mankind and Peter put his foot in his mouth. By the way, when I, when I reference these other stories, if these mean nothing to you, it means you are Bible illiterate and you need to start a Bible study plan yesterday. You need to be Bible literate. So when I'm just throwing out other stories and they don't even like have any bell ringing, That's okay, especially if you're a new believer in Jesus. If you've been saved for more than a year or three and none of those stories rung a bell in your heart, you are Bible illiterate. The Bible is our daily bread, which means you are emaciated and starving spiritually. I'm begging you to get into a good Bible reading plan and read your Bible cover to cover. Get into a Bible study group that starts next month because you've got to start learning your Bible if none of those stories made sense to you. Now, if you've been saved for 10 minutes, welcome to Jesus. It's cool that you don't know all this stuff. Start a Bible reading plan today, amen? James gets up to speak. 
Acts chapter 15, verse 12. The multitude kept silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they became silent, James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared, Simon Peter, has declared how God at first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his own name. The people he's referring to were Gentiles. And with this, the words of the prophet agree. And now he's about to quote the prophet Amos from years and years before, hundreds of years before. Here's the quote. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up. The Lord will set up the tabernacle of David. And for what purpose? Verse 17, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles in the mid cities who are called by my name, says the Lord who does these things. Known to God from eternity are all of his works. Therefore, I judge, this is James, that we should not trouble those among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write them that they should abstain from things that have been polluted by idols, abstain from sexual immorality, abstain from things that were strangled and from blood. So this is how the Gentile church, and then if you read the rest of Acts 15, they wrote a letter and said, hey, you Gentiles, you don't have to do Jewish stuff. The men don't have to get circumcised, thank God. You don't have to eat kosher, just don't drink blood and don't strangled animals. That's a symbol of how animals were sacrificed to demon gods, they were strangled. So don't eat strangled animals, don't have sex with anybody you're not married to. And that was about it. So James was so wise, but then he, he quotes Amos. And he says, the Lord is gonna rebuild the tabernacle of David and then invite the Gentiles into that tabernacle. The tabernacle of David is the one that was focused on the presence of God and worship. He didn't say the Lord's gonna rebuild the tabernacle that was in Gibeon. He said the Lord is gonna rebuild the tabernacle of David, a place of 24 hour worship and prayer before the presence of God. So now we're gonna go back to finish last Sunday's message. How did that box get to David's new tabernacle that was in Jerusalem? That was the story I was about to read you when I realized what time it was. And I was like, oh, snap, we gotta go. David becomes king and he says, we gotta go get that box. I'm not gonna go to the tabernacle that's in Gibeon. I'm gonna build my own. I'm gonna put the, ta- the presence of God in it and I'm gonna worship. Second Samuel chapter six. David gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30 thousand. Basically, he gathered his entire army. By the way, seeking the presence of God is is a lot more manly than it is in the church today. Should be. Why is it that most presence-driven churches are kind of women-led? Where's the men? Where's the 30,000 men? But the men are like, we're going to go get the presence of God. Y'all can follow us. That's what it looks like to be a man of God and lead in your home and your community. Somebody's like, why is Brad so hostile today? I don't know. 
I was fine until I got on stage. And then all this like, I, it's either the anointing or my flesh. And my flesh was pretty happy. Verse two, David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and they brought it out from the house of Abinadab. Remember, we mentioned him earlier, the house that was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God and Ahio went before the cart. David and all of the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres. That's a lyre like a guitar, not a lyre like a lyre, like at work. Harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. That's a mobile drum set. Because that doesn't travel very well. So they had mobile drums. Like, I don't like the drums in your church. Well, then you would have hated the tabernacle of David. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God, took a hold of it because the oxen stumbled. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down there because of his error and he died right there beside the ark of God. Now David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. So David now called that place Perez Uzzah and it's still called that to this day. It means the Lord broke out against Uzzah. I'm just gonna put a little pause right there before verse nine. The name Uzzah means strength, Oz. My nephew, my Israeli nephew, his name is Oz. It means strength. So there's a lot of symbolism that I'm actually not gonna take the time to break down. They put the presence of God on the cart and the sons of Abinadab who, who know this cart. The, the, the box had been in Abinadab's house the entire time Achio and Uzzah were raised. So from little children to this day, they were very familiar with that box. They were very comfortable around that box. So much so that Uzzah thought that man's strength needed to help the presence of God by steadying it. God broke out against him for not honoring his presence and he killed him. Sometimes when we operate in man's strength and we try to control and move and position the presence of God to do what we're comfortable with, it brings death rather than doing it God's way and honoring and revering the presence of God. A lot of times churches that are truly presence driven are weird and people don't like it so they either put out their hand to try to control the presence of God to do what man likes or they just leave and they get away from it. Regardless of what the Lord does this year, I would encourage you not to try to change it to do what you want it to do. I think we were at verse 9. David was afraid of the Lord that day. Yeah, I'll bet. How can the ark of the Lord God ever come to me? David built a tabernacle in his backyard. 
And all he wanted was the presence of God in that tent. All he wanted was to worship God. This is a man after God's own heart. How is he ever going to get that box? How is he ever going to get the presence of God there? David was not willing, verse 10, David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, just the nearest house. The Lord remained in in the house. Did you notice it says, oh, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. If you were to drink rat poison mixed up in your morning shake, you would probably die, even if you didn't respect the rat poison. Uzzah didn't respect and honor the power of the presence of God. So he reached out his hand and did something that he should never have done. You have to remember, King David's intentions were good. He wanted the presence of God at the center of his worship. He built a tent. He said, we're bringing God's presence to the city of David. I'm gonna call the nation of Israel to come 24 hours a day, seven days a week. His intentions were good, but his actions were bad. And it cost a man his life. But the presence of God went to the house of Obed-Edom and they said, hey, Here's the presence of God. It just killed a guy. I wouldn't recommend touching it. So Obed-Edom puts it in his living room. He's like, cool, cool, cool. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. I remind you, houses in ancient Israel were not big with multi-rooms. A rich person's house would have had two rooms. One that they, living room, dining room, like a, like a studio apartment in New York. Like that, that you would do everything but sleep. And then the second room you would sleep. And I don't mean like the mom and dad separate from the kids. Like everybody, grandma, like everybody would sleep in the same room. And that's a wealthy family. An average family would only have one room and everything happened inside of that room. So David shows up, knock, knock, knock. This is the box that just killed that guy. We're gonna put it in your living room. You know that Obed-Edom was like, don't touch the box. The problem is the presence of God at the center of Obed-Edom's home brought blessing on his house. So much blessing that the king of Israel heard about it. I would strongly encourage you to learn to host the presence of God in the middle of your living room so there is a blessing on hosting his presence and learning how to do so. Because what do we do? We put our giant 70-inch television with Netflix and Apple TV and Disney Plus. I don't know why you have Disney Plus. It's Demon Plus. There's a better way to raise your kids than on Disney. Oh, I was going to go somewhere, but I won't. I was going to back up that statement, but you're all smart people. You know better. The Holy Spirit in you is like, the only power my kids were raised with was with the power of God. I don't have to clap for that. I'm just, whatever. But we make the center of our house anything but the presence of God. What would happen in your life if you made the presence of God the central thing? How much blessing would there be? We're going to continue reading. Pick it up in verse 12. We just left off. But I need you to point out to you, the Lord is about to give you a blueprint 
for the tabernacle of David and how we worship. And it's an invitation for all of us. It's not a cool story. Look what God did for David years ago. No, no. This is a blueprint for what you can apply to your life and to your home. And I tell you, I'm just going to give you the heads up. It is all centered around extravagant sacrifice and worship. Second Samuel chapter six, verse 12. Let's keep reading. David went, this is the second trip, and he brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, and he did it with rejoicing. When those who were bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, or six paces is what it says in the Hebrew. A pace is what, three or four feet? So every 20 feet, he would sacrifice an ox and a fatted animal usually a fatted sheep or goat, very expensive. And then David would dance before the Lord with all of his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all of the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with whispering hands in their pockets and quiet worship. Oh, snap, no. They brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn or the trumpet. Let me just put a pause right here. The story is written in both 2 Samuel 6 and in 1 Chronicles, I think 9, but since I didn't put it to my sermon, I forget. But it, the, the same story is recorded in Chronicles. In the Chronicles version of the story, it talks about the fact that David remembered. I'm sure that David was talking with some of his leaders. He's like, anybody know why Uzzah died that day? And they were like, uh, well, King, your majesty, sir, um, we did have the box on a cart the way that the Philistines did it. We coulda, shoulda done it the way that God told our people to do it. And that is the priests would slide in those long poles and the priests would carry the presence of God. They wouldn't put it on a cart. So David's like, bet, go get me some priests and some long poles. Because we're gonna do it, but this time we're gonna do it right. In the first story, it doesn't talk about every 20 steps making this giant sacrifice. But in the second story, it does. So David says, we're gonna get his presence, but we're gonna do it with a sacrifice of praise and worship and dancing and shouting. Before we continue reading the story, I need to point something out to you. The presence of God from the Garden of Eden to this worship service this morning was never meant to rest on something that man built. It was meant to rest on him, his people. You were created by God to carry his presence, not a building, not a ministry, not the church's bylaws, not your money, not your bank account. None of that is designed to carry his presence. You are designed to carry his presence. And if you sit there and go, well, Pastor Brad, I'm not a priest. I remind you of 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. You, uncommon church, are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are his special people so that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. When you make Jesus the Lord of your, of your life, you become a royal priest in the house of God which means you're invited to grab the presence of God and carry it into the center of your life. Go back to the story 
in 2 Samuel chapter 6. David is wearing a linen ephod. Those of you that don't know, who are the only people that are supposed to wear the ephod? The priests. That's God's rules. The regular people don't get to wear the ephod. Only the priests. Was David a priest? A lot less, y'all were, is he he tricking us? (laughs) David was a king, not a priest. There would have been royal robes that he would have worn. Remember, he served King Saul. So he understood that to be the king, you had to look like a king. You had to wear the the royal robes. You'd have the royal jewelry. You'd have the, the, the kingly crown. And you were the king because of what you were adorned with. But when David got up that morning and he's like, we got all the guys? Yeah, we got the soldiers? Yeah, we got the priests? Yeah. I'm not going out there to get God's presence with everything that I have done in my life. I'm going to take everything that I have built and everything that has been put on me and I'm going to take it off. And he's like, you know what? Can somebody get me an ephod? And they're like, uh, you're not really a priest. You sure you want to do that? He's like, yeah, because today I'm going to be a royal priest. Did you get the second Peter? The first Peter two? Yeah. Okay. David was a foreshadow of what you and I get to live out every day a king and a priest for a revelation chapter one revelation chapter one and verse five and six to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood to jesus he has made us kings and priests to his god and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever and ever amen David was the first, he was the, the, the foreshadow of what you and I get to live out every day. He was a king that took off his kingly robe and he put on the priest's ephod to go out and usher in God's presence that day. We are kings and priests. I got to look to see where we left off on our story. Verse 16. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. If you don't know, David won Michal in battle. So Saul's daughter is David's wife. She's the queen of Israel. And David's own wife was critical of this revival. Every time there is a revival, most people are like, yes, we need more of his presence. And there's a few people that look at the way that we dance and shout and sing and they despise us in their heart. You can't let that bother you because we're not dancing and shouting and singing for man's approval. We have an audience of one and we dance and we shout and we sing for the Lord. By the way, do you know, and there's other scriptures to back this up. I ended up deleting them for time. The women of the city were supposed to go out to the gates of the city. And there's other scriptures that back this up. And they would welcome in the armies of Israel with shouting and singing and dancing. 
Michal, even if she didn't want to go get the ark with the soldiers and the priests, she should have led the women to the gate. And the moment they broke in, she should have been leading and singing and dancing and shouting. That was God's call on her life. But instead, she stayed home. She looked out the window. She despised what David was doing. Let's just finish the story because David comes into his house. He's trying to bless everybody. Verse 20. David returned home to bless his household. Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. And she said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in the view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would do. You know, vulgar fellows, how you do. David said to Michal, uh, girl, I was dancing before the Lord. The Lord who chose me over your father. Sick burn. Sick burn. Love it. When he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people. So I will celebrate before the Lord. And then he doubles down. He says, girl, you ain't seen nothing yet because I will become even more undignified than this. In fact, I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Oh, and by the way, those slave girls you spoke of, I'm going to be honored in their eyes because ladies love when a man worships God with abandon. Some of you guys are like, I just can't find a wife. They're waiting for you to start dancing like David. There's a lot of girls around here just waiting for you to start dancing like David. Verse 23, and this is sad. Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. And you know in scripture to be barren was a curse from God. There is no life, there is no fruit that remains, there is no legacy for a house of worship without his presence. And where the presence of God is despised and where shouting and dancing and leaping is despised. She looked out the window and she was expecting to see her husband, the king, wearing his crown and his priestly robes and his jewelry, but instead, all he's wearing is, a, is an ephod, like a priest. And he's dancing extravagantly. And he's shouting and he's singing. And the presence of God was following David. And she despised that kind of worship. Can I also point out to you that wherever David danced, the presence of God followed. And if David is a king priest like you, the presence of God will follow you wherever you dance and shout and worship and sacrifice extravagantly. Remember how we say that the presence of God is, we are like a lightning rod and he'll come to where there is the most hunger. So the presence of God followed David as he was dancing and shouting and singing with abandon in an undignified manner. He wasn't acting like a king. Michal wanted David to have the honor and the respect that her father, King Saul had. But David said, I don't care about the honor and the respect of man. I am worshiping for an audience of one. I'm only here so that I can lay down my life in an undignified way and shout and dance and sing because of God. I don't know how much an ox cost 2,000 years ago. But I'm going to bet, you know, like a heifer, you know, cow thing today is probably a thousand bucks, give or take. I have no idea, by the way. Some of you are like, it's 500. And some of you are like, it's 5,000. I don't care. The point is this. 
all of the sacrificing that was done that day was expensive. It cost David something to worship like that. If your worship costs you nothing, can you even call it worship? If you're singing songs off of a screen, but not from your heart, can you even call it worship? If you've never shouted or danced or sang before the Lord, can you even call that worship? Because David said, I'm gonna be even more undignified than this. You haven't seen anything yet. Because wherever I dance and shout and sing, the presence of God follows. You wonder why the presence of God isn't in your living room? How much dancing and shouting and singing have you done in your living room lately? See, I'm trying to teach you this year to host his presence here and at the home of Obed-Edom, which is your home, where the presence of God should be the central focus of your home. And you can't let fear of man hold you back. I've told this story before. I I went to a Baptist high school and um, it was kind of traditional. And when I say kind of traditional, I mean very traditional. But I was a part of this young people's group that was not very traditional. In fact, we were very Pentecostal and very Holy Ghost and shouted and danced and raised our hands and prayed in other tongues. God was setting some teenagers on fire. And I invited him and he came and he's like, dude, I love that. The worship was really good. I've never been a part of worship like that. He said, what, what, is it next week? I said, yeah, next Friday, seven o'clock. So you got these teenagers sacrificing their Friday night to worship God. And most of us that have, were already in the river of God, we're dancing and shouting and splashing around. But this, this very staunch Baptist dude started out like this. And then a few weeks later, And then a few weeks later, the fish was this big. (laughs) 30 years later, he plays the bass on his church worship team. And I often see on their Instagram, he's like this. Guitar just drangling around his neck, not even playing because he's shouting and dancing and singing before the Lord. Doesn't care what anybody thinks about him. He's there for an audience of one. Hop up on your feet. There's an old quote from Leonard Ravenhill. Got to get it right. If the church can operate apart from the presence of God, it will. Any church that wants to have a worship service at Gibeon, they will. But once a church realizes their desperate need to allow the Lord to rebuild the tabernacle of David. It's the Lord that rebuilds that tabernacle and say, Lord, build a tabernacle of David here in my heart. Build a tabernacle of David in my church. Build a tabernacle of David in these mid cities. Build a tabernacle of David in my living room. He will. But it's all about worship. It's all about sacrifice. It's all about honoring him first and foremost. To recap what should have been last Sunday's message, it's all about the presence first and foremost. And if you can live your life without making the presence of God the most important thing, you will. But once you learn to be a king priest like David, a royal priest, once you learn that the presence of God follows wherever there is sacrifice and reckless abandon and worship, 
you never wanna go back to Gibeon. You always want God to fill the tabernacle of David. So that's what the Lord is inviting us into this year, is to rebuild the tabernacle of David right here in Eulis. That the presence of God would be manifest in this place and that a people that are hungry for his presence, first and foremost, would come and sacrifice ourselves and pour out our hearts in worship and not be thinking about the thousands of other things in our life, but just this one thing that I might enter in to the house of the Lord and worship God. It's more important than my job. It's more important. It's the presence of God is even more important than raising your kids. And parents today, we love to helicopter and raise our kids right. And you should, don't get me wrong. But sometimes we put our children or our job or our Instagram on a pedestal and we bow down and worship that. I'm telling you, if you get your priorities right and you put the presence of God on the pedestal, everything else gonna be okay. The house of Obed-Edom was blessed. <laughs> if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you think that I am certifiably insane, I invite you to repent of your sin. Make Jesus the Lord of your life because you're looking out through the window and criticizing the move of God, which led to death. The invitation is to ask God to forgive you of your sin. Be adopted in to the family of God. There is room at God's table for you and he is inviting you and he's made a place for you through Jesus. And that Jesus' broken body and shed blood would forgive you and you would be adopted. You would become a king priest, part of the royal priesthood, that you would begin to worship in a way that you never have before. So in a minute, we're gonna worship. And I'd like to invite the prayer team down to the sides over here. And if there is pain in your body, sickness in your body, something going on in your heart, you need prayer for, these men and women wanna pray for you if you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life because you haven't, or it's been a minute. You prayed a prayer at that kid's thing you went to years ago, but now you're an adult and you realized, I'm on the outside looking in. Dude, cannonball into the deep end of the waters of God, I'm telling you, it's perfect for you. What I want you to do is go over and talk to one of the prayer team over here by this Jesus wall. Every single one of the light bulbs on the Jesus wall is somebody just like you that in the recent months, the Holy Spirit was pounding on their chest that you need to get right with God. You need to repent of your sin. You need to ask God to forgive you. You need to die to your old self so you can start living for Jesus and he can start living in you. So I, they wanna pray with you to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Last Sunday, I didn't even give an invitation publicly and three people gave their heart to Jesus. Come on, somebody. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. So if that's you today and you're not right with God, come get prayer, come ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin. You're gonna basically die to your old life so you can start living the life and following King David's footsteps so that whenever we worship, you can shout, you can dance, you can sing. It doesn't mean that there isn't a struggle it just means that I know the one that brings life and healing and the answer. So instead of focusing on the problems in my life, I'm gonna focus on the king. I'm gonna focus on the one that is worthy of my praise. 
Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.